Let's direct your attention, if you would please, to Luke chapter 2. I do want to share and finish this morning's thought, if I can. The aftermath of Christmas. And of course, in the book of Luke, it begins with a man who has been working to investigate, to get eyewitnesses, and to find out what happened from the very beginning. Dr. Luke, the two longest books of our New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, written by the same author. And you could tell this guy was a student. He studied, he talked, he investigated, and he says when he wrote, writes the book of Luke, he says, I have, I think, perfect understanding of all things from the beginning. I would say he probably interviewed uh, shepherds, or at least their sons, and found out what was it like, what did you see, what did you hear, and he put it out for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He tells us about Zacharias and Elizabeth having the promise of John, and then tells about Mary being met by the angel and told that she's going to bear the Christ child. She's the virgin of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, and, and that she's going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, and Jesus, because he would take away our, his, uh, the sins of his people. And then, of course, Matthew talks more about Joseph on his father's side, and then Mary uh, is more focused in the book of Luke. But when it comes to the book of Luke, you have the story of the, of the Christmas story, how that, um, that Caesar Augustus, he makes a rule that all everyone goes back to their own hometowns to be taxed, and that's what happens. And then it talks a little bit about Mary and Joseph and then the visit of the shepherds. When it finishes that, Luke gives just a little bit of an overview. Matthew kind of fills in the pieces of the puzzle because we know that uh, it was from Bethlehem, according to Matthew, that they had to go and they got the visit from the wise men and then had to go to Egypt. And Luke kind of gives an overview that after they finished all those things, they made their way back to Nazareth. But in the aftermath of all the Christmas thing, the Bible tells us that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. The shepherds went on their way telling everybody that the Christ child was born. And then we find that eight days went by, and uh, Mary and Joseph named Jesus his name after his circumcision. Then 40 days after his birth, they took him to the temple. If they were still in Bethlehem, and we believe they were, they went to the temple at this young couple, to sacrifice. They were told in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 2, that this is what they should do, and this is, they should sacrifice primarily for the mother. It was after her, her purification, her body had now healed from having the baby, and now they were to take a lamb, if they had the money to do it. If they didn't have the lamb, or they were not financially set to do that, they would, could take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the Bible says they took two turtle doves, and one was a burnt offering, the other one most likely a sin offering, not for Jesus, he didn't have any sin, but for Mary somewhat, it's just a, it was a type of, of God's plan from Leviticus chapter 12 that that would happen. We find that we see that they went into the temple, and there they're met by an older man named Simeon. And Simeon is a fellow that uh, he is aged, but he's spiritual. The Spirit of God is upon him, and he has two things about him that's really beautiful. He's just, and he's devout. Justice in the Bible usually pertains to how he treats, or how someone treats other people. And then devout, or devoted to God, was his second attribute. Well, would to God that everybody had that attribute. 
But we find several things about this story that I wanted to share, and I'll recap from this morning. We see the seriousness of a parents, the purposed parents that are here. They did some things real well. Number one, they understood biblical stewardship. That little baby was not their baby. He was God's baby. By the way, every mom or dad who has a child needs to remember that that child is not yours. He's the Lord. The Bible says that children are the heritage of the... be a good idea when you just realize real quickly. By the way, nothing you have is yours. The bank account, the job, uh, your kids, your car, your house. I try to not even try to say that's mine if I can help it. Because sometimes I might believe that. Nothing I have belongs to me, including our children. I found that out when God decided to take one home one day. And it was a reminder for me. I remember holding that little baby up with that understanding. I read, I read to myself that psalm uh, where the Bible tells us that, Lo, children are heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And happy is a man to have this quiver full of them. And I remember just having one child and holding him up in Bellflower, California, at the Kaiser Hospital and saying, Lord, I know that this child. And Linda was right there in the bed right beside me when I held him and and said, I know that Tyler is not ours. He belongs to you. And we want to train him the way you want him to be trained. We want to invest in him. And we didn't do all that hot of a job on that. But that was our prayer. I didn't remember saying, Lord, if you ever want to take him with you to live in your nursery or to live in your house before we think it's proper, we're going to be okay with that. We're going to figure that out. We're going to tr trust you. I did not know that 17 years later, that's what God would do. But I did remind myself, and I did remember, that he was never mine from the very beginning. And that's a good thing for every parent. I think Mary and Joseph understood the stewardship, biblical stewardship. They understood biblical structure and biblical standards. The reason they waited to their eighth day to name him and to circumcise him, because that was the biblical standard that they knew. The reason they went 40 days later and to present him to the Lord and, and uh, to... To offer sacrifices because that they looked in the Bible and that's what God wanted them to do. They, they held to some biblical standards and I think it's important that parents still do that today. I think you need to find out what the Bible wants you to do and do it with your children. I think you ought to live biblical standards. You ought to pass them on to the next generation. I'm thankful to have been raised in a home where my dad and my mom have done that. They, they, we haven't always responded to what they did, but boy, they, they tried really hard to help us understand things from a biblical structure. Number three, we find that they understood biblical sacrifice and giving, and sacrificing. Think about Brother Hassey back here and Miss Hassey. They live here in Calumet City, and many years ago, they had opportunities to move, and there's no, no, they, they had every right to move anywhere. And he said, people were saying, well, move out by the school. You'll be closer to the school. Brother Hassey would say this, it's more important to me to be closer to our church. I'll get you to school, but I don't want any excuse to keep me from coming to church. That's sacrifice. I'm not saying you need to move anywhere then, but he, he understood some things. He understood, you know, what's important is the house of God. What's important is the people of God. What's important is the word of God. He said, you know, this is going to be our priority in our house. I will make sure you get an education. I'll get you there. But I don't want an excuse not to put you in church. I think that was a kind of interesting thought there. 
But they were, they were familiar with biblical sacrifice, and they sacrificed because God gave them a child, and they had the structure, they had the stewardship. And I think last thing we saw this morning is they had biblical, they understood the biblical struggle of raising Jesus. And Simeon brought it to their attention. He said, a sword's going to pass through you, Mary. You're, this is not going to be a walk in the park. And Jesus is not born to live, he's born to die. And your heart's going to break. It's interesting that she gave that birth, gave, heard that prophecy, and then 33 years later, she would watch him be beaten, bludgeoned, and naked, and stripped naked, and stripped on a, on a cross, and made fun of, and poked, and, and uh, put this hyssop and, and uh, vinegar into his mouth that would run down. His visage was not even recognizable. She did have, she, that, not the literal, but the... Uh, but the, the symbolic piercing of her heart watching her son die. The truth of the matter is, when we raise children, we raise them for God. And we raise them with the help and understanding that it will not be easy. It wasn't easy then. It's not easy now. It's not easy whenever there's cell phones. It's not easy when there was no cell phone. It's every, 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 every family, every generation has its same battles. But it is a struggle, and I think they understood the biblical struggle that was there, even raising the Christ child. We'll find when he's 12 years old, the rest of the part of, of Luke chapter 2, we'll find that they went to took him to, to uh, Jerusalem, and there he got lost, or they lost him. He wasn't lost. He was about his father's business, his other father's business. And uh, it's a great story. We may talk about that a little bit in the month of January, this month of January, next uh, next month, we'll have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about the family. I appreciate the comments Pastor Paisley made tonight to help us get uh, springboarded onto that topic uh, for January. And we have Brother Larry Brown with us as well, and I'm looking forward to having him speak to us in, uh, in January as well on the family. But I want you to talk, I want to speak secondly about not only um, some, some uh, prudent and, and uh, purpose-filled parents, I want to talk about some very priceless people that God brought into the arena in the temple that day with Mary and Joseph. Their names are Simeon and Anna, but their but their person their names are not as important to me as what they represent. This church is blessed with a lot of Simeons and a lot of Annas. These folks were older people. But you know how old people become godly? Is when they're godly when they're young. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. In the Old Testament, it was, in, excuse me, in Bible times, one of the most vulnerable people there were is a widow. Now today, we, in America especially, we have a lot more going on for widows. Usually there's a pension, usually there's at least Social Security, there is a vulnerability about being a widow in our society, but nothing compared to Bible days. But one of the things that they decided in the early church is who was a widow and who was a widow indeed. He said, if, if a widow has sons and daughters, nephews and nieces, they're to show Christianity. True piety will start at home and how you care for your aging parents and aunts and uncles. He said, if, you, if a man does not care for his aging parents, he is worse than an infidel. He's denied the faith. God's very strong on that. 
And so he says, if you, if you got, if you got family, I oftentimes will talk to my mother and my mother goes to Temple Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee. And I remind her, mom, please do not call that church for anything that you need. You have four boys and two girls. You call us first. If you need your yard mowed, you need your garage door fixed, you need something done, I want you to contact me, Mom. I ask her, I talk to her almost every five times a week, probably, and I will ask her probably three of those five times, do you need anything? Because the Bible says if I, if I have a widow, I have an older person in my home, and my, and my responsibility, don't, you take care of them, don't let the church be charged so that they can care for people who don't have children to take care of them. Of course, in the early years of Christianity, a mother who came to Jesus Christ, her kids would oftentimes disown her. They would say, Mom, what are you doing with your hair wet? Why did you get baptized? You're not one of those. If you are, that's fine, but I'm not taking care of you anymore. You can find another place to live. And that's why there were so many widows coming to the Lord Jesus, but they couldn't, they couldn't care for themselves. The, the Grecian widows were arguing with the Jewish widows about who's going to care for who because so many of them had been disowned and they, had, they, had, they found themselves vulnerable without care and the church was taking care of them. But the Bible tells us that one of the things they had to do, they had to, first of all, they had to be hospitable before they were a widow indeed. That means they need to use what they had for the other's good. They need to house strangers. They need to be able to help people, to be faithful in the service of the Lord. They had to be 60 years old or older. And he tells them this because not ever, it, it challenged younger women to say, hey, if I'm ever going to be vulnerable and the church is going to help me, I need to do all these things in order to, to merit the help of the early church. And, and Paul told Timothy that in 1 Timothy chapter number 5. But I see also Simeon and Anna weren't always old. They were young people. But they had the same testimony when they were young as they had when they were old. And I want to just talk to you just for a few moments about the attributes of priceless people in our church family and in this church and in Christendom. People that bless others. Simeon, the Bible tells us he blessed this young couple. One of the things I love about First Baptist Church, I love to see young couples. And of course, the Moberly family back there, they're, they're in the cry room over there with their little one. But I'm glad to see young couples come. I love to see that. But you know, you know what young couples need? They need older couples. They need someone to pray for them, someone to root for them, someone to encourage them. I love to see these precious moms, and I know, I know because I was married to one, and I am still married to her. <laughs> I remember all those Sunday mornings, man, she would get on a bus route, Linda would be a bus captain for probably 15, 16 years, uh, when, I was, uh, a, when I was serving the Lord, she was a bus captain, she said, John, I gotta do something to get the kids engaged in service, and so she took the bus route number four, and she was a bus captain for the 13 years I was a pastor there in Long Beach. But she would get those kids up, and they'd get on the bus, and, and then, uh, then they would go and be at church, and then get back on the bus, take everybody home, and we'd get home in the afternoon, and sometimes we would, we would care for people, and then we'd get the kids down, and then to get them up and going, and get them back to church again. My goodness. You just almost uh, go to the funny farm trying to make all that happen. But I love to see young couples. You know what the young couples need? That young mother needs? Needs an older 
lady to say you're doing a good job. It needs good as you to come by and say to them, listen, the days are long, but the years are short. Real soon, they won't, they won't need you like that. Keep on keeping on. I love these two, these two people in, in the book of Luke. One was the man who was just and devout, whose the Holy Spirit was upon him. Tonight, I want to just challenge everyone. Say, I'm, I'm 16, Pastor. I'm not, I'm not uh, 85 or 90 years old. You will be one day if you keep sucking air. Okay? And the way you're going to be an old righteous man who's just and devout is to be a young righteous man who's just and devout. I want to just give you a couple thoughts about Simeon and about Anna. Number one, they were, they were steadfast people. There were people who were, that, that they, both of them had tenured many years of ups and downs. With God's people, with the temple, with the Roman government, different, different leaders, different presidents. They had probably seen different ones. One of the things I love about Daniel, you know, Daniel was throwing the lions in. He wasn't a teenager. He was an old man. But he'd been faithful doing the right thing the right way for the right reason for a long time. I want to challenge you. Some of you folks, you need to decide, you know what, it's not my time to throw in and say, I bought the t-shirt, I'm done, I'm just going to watch the world go by. We need you in this church. The work of God needs your encouragement. It needs your, 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 your experience. It needs your prayers. I love this about Anna. You know what the Bible says about Anna? She served the Lord by fasting and prayers. And she departed not from the house of God. She was there. She was in it to win it. Now, I know there comes a time when you cannot do what you used to be able to do with energy. But we can fast. We can pray. We can give our hearts to the things of God. And it was very special. But I love the fact that we're steadfast. Are you steadfast? Are you somebody who's going to be doing the right thing next week, next month? Some of you, you've got quitting on your mind. The Bible says we ought to consider Jesus. You say, Pastor, why in the world do you continue to keep bringing up Jesus? Well, he's the reason for the season. He's the reason for every day. Not very many people ask that, but occasionally I have someone, yeah, I know how you are, Pastor. You always bring everything. It has to be Jesus, soul winning, or giving. That's all your little stories are. Well, they're not too bad stories. Those are good stories. Those are good topics right there. But I will say this about the, 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 the Lord Jesus, and that is making much of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says you consider Jesus or you're, you're weary and faint where? In your mind. Some of you, you're thinking about quitting. You're thinking about what you can quit doing. You ought to think about, you may not be able to do what you used to do. There's a time where you have to turn in your CDL license. You're not going to be able to drive that thing anymore. But you ought to not say, well, what, you ought to say, well, I'm done with that. Well, what can you do? What can you do for the Lord? What is a way that you can edify, encourage, uplift? Be steadfast. Steadfast people are a blessing to the work of God. I want you to notice a second now, they were, they were people who were substantive people. They weren't, they weren't, um, they had some substance to them. They weren't shallow I remember one day going to a funeral, and I just was so grieved. I didn't, I didn't have to do the funeral. I just went to attend. But everybody talked about this person's love for the Chicago Cubs the, the entire time. 
He had multiple grandchildren there. He had multiple uh, kids. But all they want to talk about is cubs, cubs, cubs. All the pictures, so many pictures in front of Wrigley Field. And as I listen to the grandkids get up there and cry and talk about Grandpa and his love for the cubs, I just thought to myself, are you kidding me? That's what he's known for? Just a little bit weak. It's a little bit shallow. Because I don't know that God gives a rip about the cubs. I think it's all right to entertain yourself. As a matter of fact, I enjoy it. I'll, I'll watch the Cubs. I'll watch a baseball game. If I get two ants walking inside together, look like they're racing, I'll stop and watch that too. I like athletics. But I'm telling you, sometimes we need to be very careful that that is, that is not our purpose. There ought to be some depth. I like the fact that this couple right here, they built their life around things that mattered. There are people who are steadfast. There are people who are substantive. When we, when we talk about your life, what are we talking about? Are we just talking about some hobby that you're engaged in? Are we talking about your Facebook post? Are we talking about just silly stuff? Are they going to say, and I loved hearing Brother Paisley tonight. She, he said to me when I asked him about his family, he said, Pastor, say, I had a mother who prayed. I had a mother who prayed. If I ever, in my whole life, and the reason I'm sitting here tonight is because I had a mother who prayed. Would to God we had mothers who prayed. Would to God we say, well, I, one day I want to be a grandmother who prayed. Well, you need to be a mother who prayed. Well, I'll be a mother who prayed. You'll be a teenager who prays. Somewhere we need to start that thing real quickly. Some of our teenagers, we don't have any substance. You get together and all you want to talk about is games and Amazon, and YouTube. We're just, we're just spinning our wheels talking about stuff that doesn't matter. And I think there's, there's a place for each of those things, but that's not be your main thing. Are you only known for how many tennis shoes you have? Is that, is that what everybody knows you about? How foolish. Somewhere along the line, someone gets some substance. When you, sit around the, when you sit around the lunchroom next week and when you go back to school, someone ought to say, you know, it was a blessing to be able to see my bus kid come to church on Sunday. I'm praying about that young man to get saved. Someone ought to say, you know, I really found something in Psalms that really helped me today. Let me show you what I, what I found. Hey, I, I think I'm going to get through the whole Bible this year in my, in my reading. Would to God somebody brought up that kind of stuff? Instead of just the tomfoolery that goes on. I'm not talking just about teenagers, but teenagers need to do that. Pastors need to do that. Everybody needs to do that. I like this couple because, number one, they were steadfast. Number two, they were substantive. Number three, they had vision. They were seeing people. Oh, uh, Simeon, he, God had dealt with him. And by the way, the Holy Ghost was upon him. Wouldn't that be a good thing for knowing about you? And he, you know, he knew, God had told him, you know what, I am not going to let you go to heaven until you see the Messiah. So every time he got a sniffle, he knew it wasn't going to be fatal. Because he hadn't seen the Messiah yet. There were years ago as a young pastor, I think I was maybe been pastoring two or three years, there was a little lady named Marion Hamby. Marion Hamby was a little Texas girl that lived in, a, in the building across the street from the church. 
and she was a hairdresser when she's a little short thing in her in her before she retired and she loved the Lord and she fell in love with the Lord and she loved her young pastor and she encouraged me she helped me one day I I saw her come down she walked forward and she got on her knees and I don't know it just something just blessed my heart about seeing a lady and she was in her 87 years old and she got on her knees and she was praying and she was doing like this she was praying and I thought to myself what in the world is Miss Marion doing is she losing it but afterwards I talked to her and she said pastor it was after the service over and I was sitting down front with her she said God, let me see it. One day our church is not going to have any more debt. It's going to go away. I said, that's great. And I said, all these buildings, they're not going to have any more debt on them. And there's going to be more people in this building. This is two years after I started pastoring, and all we had was buildings. And nobody but had buildings. She goes, one day, Pastor, God's going to give us this. I said, well, you keep praying that. I don't have to pray. I know it's going to happen. She said, I won't be here, but it's going to happen. And sure enough, God did everything she said. Not thinking, I thank God. It's a, it was a wonderful comfort to my little 34-year-old heart. Over my head, embarrassed with lots of things and frustrated by lots of things. But someone had some vision. Someone spoke peace and encouragement and strength. I don't necessarily always need that as a pastor, but there's someone in your sphere of influence that needs it. Somebody needs someone to say, I believe in you. I trust you. God's going to use you. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. People who have vision. And by the way, that comes with a walk with the Holy Spirit of God. If you think you're going to have that, spending time on, on television all the time, you've you got, you got another thing coming. The reason he had some vision is because the Holy Spirit of God was on him. He was, they were steadfast. They were substantive. They were seen or visionaries. And then lastly, I love it because they were serving people. Look, if you would please, what it says about Anna, and we'll close with this. Look, if you would please, in verse number 30, 36. And there was one Anna, the prophetess. I mean, she proclaimed God's truth. It was a daughter of Phanuel, the, the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age and lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. She was married for seven years. Her husband died. And she was a widow of about, about fourscore and four years, and departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in at the instant, she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake unto them all, looking to the redemption of, of Jerusalem. And of course, all these things encouraged Mary and Joseph, and they, when they performed everything, they made their way out. I want you to notice that Simeon and Anna were serving people. I would encourage you, let's keep on serving. You know when you're, let's live until we die. And let's serve until we die. What we can't do with energy, let's do with, let's do with urgency. If you can't do things with your hands and your feet like you used to do, do it on your knees and do it in prayer. This church needs greatly people who will pray. You know when people pass away, like Brother Colston, Boy, don't you miss Brother Colston. I love him. There's not a service goes by. I don't just have like a little bit of a twinge of regret. 
I watched uh, someone the other day was showing me a YouTube, and I was preaching here, and he was sitting right there laughing. It looked like he was smiling. Uh, when he wasn't sleeping, he was smiling. No, he didn't sleep. One thing that's just beautiful. But you know, when I think about someone going to heaven, I think, oh, who's going to take their place in prayer? Who's going to pray? Who's going to beseech God on behalf of this ministry? Who's going to beseech God on behalf of souls? Who's going to pray that all 87 buses will get back on Sunday afternoon without a wreck? Who's going to pray that people will hear the gospel and that missionary and wives will stay encouraged? Who's going to pray that kids will stay right with God? Who's going to pray that Hammond Baptist will continue and City Baptist and Howells Anderson will continue on? Who's going to pray that the gospel will go forth on the radio station and really do something that will be eternal in nature, not just a subject of entertainment? Who's going to pray? Oh, may God help us to be people of steadfast faithfulness, people who are substantive, People that are visionary, and they see past the normal and the, and the physical. And uh, God give us people that are serving.